You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 69. Hey there, Impact Drivers. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and today we are going to talk about the top mistakes I see PMO leaders making and how you can ensure that you don't make these mistakes with your PMO. This episode is sponsored by my free masterclass on the six-step process to build a high-impact PMO. Whether you've got a new PMO you're setting up or you just want to up-level your skills, this is the training for you. You'll learn exactly what it takes to show, not sell, the value of your PMO, how to pivot toward an impact-driving model that your business leaders will love, and finally earn and keep your seat at the table. Everything you hear today about return on investment, leveling up your role, and moving away from admin work to strategy delivery is covered in this training. Join us today at pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. Okay, let's dive into today's episode. I'm going to walk you through the top mistakes I see PMO leaders making and give you some bulletproof solutions to ensure that your PMO thrives now and into the future. So if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you may have heard me mention that I built my first PMO inside an organization in the 1990s. It was 1999, yes, the last century. And the truth is that I had no idea what I was doing when I first started, but I had a get it done attitude and a desire to learn, and boy, did I learn a lot. I made my share of mistakes and learned a ton while putting PMOs and project management best practices in place in organizations over the following two decades. Now I teach and coach others the art of successful project management and PMO implementation, and I'm seeing some of the same mistakes that I made early on in my career and then later in my career as a PMO leader because there's different mistakes that happen as you evolve in your career. And I'm going to cover a lot of those mistakes and share with you things that you can do to bulletproof your PMO. And I also have a guide that you can download right from my website, right on the homepage. It's a guide to bulletproof your PMO and we'll cover some of the things I'm talking about here and reference a ton of other materials and podcast episodes that you can dive into if you want to go deeper on any of these mistakes or how you want to avoid them. So you can go right to my pmostrategies.com homepage, download the bulletproof guide, or you can find it on the blog page for this podcast episode, episode 069. So you can go to pmostrategies.com forward slash 069 to download the Bulletproof Guide, check out the show notes and many of the links that I reference to dive deeper. Okay, so here's the thing. I see PMOs that had a real chance of success getting bogged down in the not so important stuff while opportunities are passing them by just like their next promotion. I also see business leaders that have run out of patience with PMOs and PMO leaders, and that means that many PMO leaders are concerned about their future, feeling that they're constantly under attack, underappreciated, and frankly, seen as administrative overhead. 
And the 2020 pandemic really added fuel to that fire. Either you had a seat at the table in your organization and you were brought into the conversations that were happening around how the organization needed to pivot or you weren't. And that created a very clear line for a lot of PMO leaders to understand whether or not their business leaders thought of them as strategic business partners. And that's ultimately what a PMO and a PMO leader need to be. So I'm gonna walk you through some of these mistakes that I saw when I was a PMO leader for 15 years inside organizations, or I'm seeing now in my consulting and training practice through our big events like the PMO Impact Summit workshops and other activities that we do to support this community. Okay, let's dive into the first one, which may not be something that is under your control, but it is certainly something that you can influence if it happens. And it's called suffering from me too syndrome. And it goes a little something like this. Your executive goes to a conference, maybe it's a virtual conference these days, reads an article or is talking to his or her peers And the next thing you know, you start hearing them say, we have to do that because everyone else is. We've got to create a PMO. That's what everyone else is doing. Or maybe you've heard the opposite. We've got to get rid of our PMO and go all in agile. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, well, just because everyone else is doing something doesn't mean it's going to make the most sense for you and your organization. So you've got to be crystal clear on exactly what business problems you're trying to solve if you are going to make the time, money, and energy investment worth it. So if your business leaders are super excited about the idea of setting up a PMO, even if it's because they're trying to keep up with the Joneses, we've gotta make sure everyone is crystal clear about why the PMO is going to exist in your organization and how to make sure that the PMO is set up correctly right from the start. That means that we've gotta answer some basic questions about the purpose of your PMO, and how it's going to solve business problems. Because at the end of the day, the PMO is there to solve business problems. So stop and get clarity. You must have clarity around that problem you're trying to solve so that it's worth it to do it in the first place. You can go down all kinds of terrible rabbit holes with expectations being completely misaligned with the reality because the executive said we want a PMO and has their own ideas in mind about what that's going to look like, but then they throw it over the fence to you maybe to deliver and you've got your own ideas of what a PMO should do. Maybe you've done it before once, twice, or 10 times and you've got your own ideas about what that should look like. So you got to pause, go back to your business leader and get super clear on why They think the PMO is the solution to the problem that they're experiencing and exactly what business problems you're solving. Now that leads very nicely into the second mistake that I say PMO leaders making, and that is getting too caught up in the PMO type or maturity level. Sadly, PMO leaders spend an awful lot of time putting process and templates and tools in place before they ever figure out What services will actually get the biggest bang for the buck in the organization? And this is even more likely if this is not your first PMO. You've got some experience, you know what worked before, and you want to leverage that expertise to guide your organization on this PMO journey. I get it, but don't do it. 
You see, when I was a PMO leader inside organizations, I remember one time I was about four or five PMOs in, and I felt like I'd seen it all. And I knew the medicine my organization needed to take when they asked me to build a PMO. I'm the expert after all, right? Unfortunately, that meant that I had already determined what services we were gonna provide, what things were going on in the organization that we needed to fix immediately. And I went about building my team and putting all this stuff in place before I really sat down with my business leaders and asked them what they needed. And that was a big mistake because it turned out that the things that I thought were most important and things that they really needed to do, which were important and things they needed to do, was not the most important place that my business leaders thought I should be spending my time and energy. And so right there, you have a lack of alignment between what the PMO leader is looking to do and then what the executives really need. And so before I knew it, my business leaders were seeing our PMO as administrative and not providing a lot of value because we weren't working on the things that they cared about. So you must figure out what your customers need help with first. And everybody is a customer. Anyone you serve or is tangentially served by what your PMO does is a customer. So you've got to start with asking about what those pain points are that you and your PMO can solve. And then go do that. Go fix that problem. Go address that pain point. Do something that they know they need help with. If they're asking, answer that call. And if they're not asking, go ask them a lot of questions about what they need about what's keeping them up at night, where the challenges are that that had them thinking the PMO was the answer in the first place. That's how you build credibility in your organization. That's how you develop a strategic business partner approach to supporting your organization. And then later, you can come back and give them a little bit of the medicine they need because you gave them the things that they wanted and they got value from that. You solved their problem. You built credibility and you built trust with them. So now they will listen to you when you say, hey, here's this other thing I think we should do that would really help. So don't get so caught up in what type of PMO you have or how mature it is because really maturity is such a nebulous thing. There are no five stages. I know people say that there are and you can find all kinds of stuff out there, but it really is about your evolution as a PMO based on the services and capabilities your business leaders and stakeholders need, and that will evolve over time. And sometimes more is not better. So let's not try to climb a ladder of capabilities that our business leaders and stakeholders don't even need or box ourselves in with a type of a PMO that may not actually solve the problems your business leaders have. Let's focus on what they care about and do that and do that really, really well. I go into this in more detail in my masterclass on the six step process I use to build a high impact PMO. And that's based on my framework that I'm using for my clients, for my students, based on more than 20 years of experience and lessons learned in building a PMO. So when you're done listening to this episode, you'll have a really good idea of some things to look out for. And then I highly encourage you to go sign up for that masterclass so you can kind of see the way the PMO can be set up and run to create high impact for your organization. All right, 
Mistake number three is blaming the culture. It's very easy to say that the reason your PMO isn't working is because you don't have the support or people don't get it and it's not your fault. It feels like you just keep pushing this boulder uphill and it keeps rolling back down and I totally get it. I lived that slow and agonizing nightmare of change resistance, quote unquote, around every corner. And what I learned, however, was to focus on what I could control and the rest would come along eventually. You see, it's not really about change resistance. And I talk a lot about this in the podcast episode on change resistance. And don't worry, all of this is in the show notes on the website at pmostrategies.com forward slash 069 and also in the bulletproof your PMO guide that I referenced on my website. But let's be very clear here. People aren't resistant to change. If you know anybody that's ever been married or had children on purpose, that's all about change. In fact, the 2020 pandemic actually showed how resilient and change-capable human beings really are. It's not about how change-resistant your culture is. It's about how you are bringing the change into the organization. Are you doing change to people or with people? You've got to practice patience and most importantly, understand that people will only be resistant if you're doing the change to them. So the next time you feel like you can't get any support on your project, look at what you can do to bring people, all of your stakeholders and business leaders with you through the process, including their insights and their ideas along the way. And again, you can dive deeper into the whole episode I have on change resistance if you're not believing me yet. And one of the biggest mindset shifts that you can make actually is something my friend Mark Price Perry likes to say. It's not your PMO. We're often getting so caught up in the way we think the PMO should run. And when we do that and people resist it because you didn't incorporate any of their ideas or perspectives or insights, they just were completely left out. It's no wonder you're feeling that resistance. So you got to take a huge step back and look at what you can do to create their PMO, not yours, and bring them with you through the process. And that change-resistant culture you feel is the biggest problem will go away. All right. Mistake number four that I see quite often is measuring the wrong things. I'm often telling my students that they've got to make sure that they're measuring the impact their PMO is making. As a PMO leader, your job is to drive business results that create value and impact for the organization. In fact, I believe the purpose of the PMO is to create the highest possible return on investment for the organization's strategy as quickly as possible. You are not there because they want more templates, tools, and process. You're there because they want that ROI. Projects are costing too much, taking too long, or failing to deliver the value that was intended. Solve that problem. From this point forward, you are no longer a PMO leader. Think of yourself as an investment manager for the organization, because you are. They have given you some of their investment dollars, you know, budget, resources, time, energy, focus, to complete a PMO or projects that will achieve some kind of a value or an outcome for the organization 
that is worth more than the original investment in time, money, and resources, right? It is your fiduciary responsibility to optimize that spend of time, energy, focus, resources, etc., and get the greatest return on that possible. So that means you need to be focused on more than the triple constraint. Earned value measurement will only take you so far because guess what? EVM does not measure value. That's right. Where in it does it actually tell you a darn thing about value? It only tells you how much money have you spent, how much time has gone by, and if you've spent as much as you were supposed to spend by this point in the process. Now, spending does not actually mean value has been created. And even if you were to say, well, we achieved the benefits, did the revenue we expected to gain or the expense reduction we expected to see happen actually take place? That's what the business wants to know. And that's what the business is asking you to deliver. And just like EVM doesn't go far enough, I also think all of this focus on benefits measurement doesn't go nearly far enough. That's only half of the equation. Benefits only tell you the plus side, but what about the expense side? There is not only the cost of doing the work in the first place, but there's the opportunity cost of the things that didn't get time, energy, focus, and budget so that you could do these other things. Your business leaders are thinking about that bigger picture, you need to start thinking about that bigger picture too, because budget that is assigned to your PMO or for your projects is budget not assigned to other initiatives in the organization. So you better make sure that that worth it factor is clear and as high as it possibly can be. That's what your business leaders want you to do. And that is where you need to focus. So of course, you can have all your performance metrics, but again, keep them to a minimum because they're not actually telling you the whole story. Sure, you wanna know time, scope, and cost. Of course, that can be very predictive and very helpful. EVM can be very predictive and very helpful. And if you stop there, that might explain why there's this huge gap between how your role is seen in the organization and what business leaders are actually looking for. So keep that in mind. All right, next mistake I see happening, methodology abuse. When you're first tasked with building out project management capability in your organization, what's the first thing that most people do? Especially if they grew up as project managers and even if they've gotten certified or especially if they've gotten certified, they start building process and templates or they start redesigning what is there to make sure it's quote unquote holistic. And we spend months or even years building out templates and process and we try desperately to get everyone to use all of this great stuff that we've created. We're educating everyone on our methodology that we're so proud of, and they're all running and hiding. What's worse is that we have spent precious time using company resources to create a bunch of outputs before we've ever actually delivered any value or helped the organization achieve outcomes. I know you feel like all those templates will provide value. And I know you feel like if you can get everyone to just follow your methodology and do the things that you say they need to do, lives will be better, lives will be improved. I get it. But all your leadership and your stakeholders see is that they've invested in you a year ago and not one project has gotten done better, faster, or cheaper, or created more return on investment since. Instead of spending so much time focused on perfecting that methodology, go get something done. Find a team or a project that you can help improve and go do that. 
quickly, then another, then another. This will help you more clearly define the need or the gap, the problems they're actually having, and test out some of your services and improvements or a template or two here or there, all before you've spent an entire year building a bunch of stuff that may not actually help you deliver on your organization's strategy any faster. You'll have a much better sense of what will actually help if you roll up your sleeves, dive in, and figure out where the pain points actually exist. And if you already have templates and tools and process in place, your job today, not next week or next year, is to start simplifying what's there. Make lives easier. Make it easier to get projects done in a way that achieves that return on investment. The more steps you have in a process, the more templates you have people fill out, the more they have to do, the longer it will take to achieve the outcome and the lower your return on investment is going to be. More is not better. So once you do this, you become an invaluable asset to the organization because they see you as someone they can count on to make their lives easier. All right. Now, another part of this that I see that's an extension of this whole methodology and templates and process stuff is what I call tools gone wild. When I start with a new client and I'm helping them set up a PMO, I can almost guarantee they will have purchased a tool before they've even engaged me. Often it's because they wanted to set up the PMO on their own and they thought, great, I'm gonna go get a tool and put that in place. And then they realize it's not quite working or they need some help and they give me a call. Inevitably, they start implementing that tool and they meet such change resistance with their stakeholders that the entire future of their PMO hangs in the balance. Tools are the last step in the process, not the first step. You must figure out what business problems you're solving, as we've talked about today, what services you're going to provide, and make sure your stakeholders all understand the fundamentals of project management and how to properly engage in that simple process before you start putting a tool in place. Because that's where you develop your requirements. Figuring out how you can streamline and optimize the process, if it already exists, or how you're going to put a lean process in place has to happen before you start trying to automate things. If I go into an organization and they've gone tool first, part of my requirement to work with them is that they put the tool implementation on hold until we've solved these other problems. If they wanna stay hot and heavy tool first, I will guarantee that they're gonna fail and I won't take the client because you've got to get everything aligned before you start automating. And if you've got a tool that has been customized so many times that your tech company won't even support it anymore, that's one of those telltale signs that you didn't figure out how to streamline and optimize your process first. And so you just keep customizing the heck out of a tool and making it so that it's not even recognizable to the vendor anymore. And it's incredibly hard to manage and maintain and support. Now, one of the best ways that you can use technology and tools is to automate the admin. If you have a lot of things you're doing in your organization that require you to manually gather data, process reports, create reports, do your resource management, these are things you're going to want to automate and quickly, but it's still got to be after you've made sure that you've got the most streamlined and optimized process first then automate the heck out of that stuff as fast as you can so that you can 
take your team's time and your time and put it towards more valuable endeavors. There's a ton of opportunity for you to be playing relationship builder and strategic business partner, which means you've got to get out of the administrivia that plagues a lot of teams. So do tool implementation, but just do it after you're clear on how you're providing services and value to the organization. That way you avoid automating a broken process. Okay, next up is missing the marketing. Make sure you're telling the story of the value that you're creating with your PMO. Recognize and celebrate wins publicly. Tie the project completion to the value and the impact your PMO was responsible for creating. Many of you listening are a little bit modest and are afraid to come off as a sleazy salesperson or to be a braggart if you're spending so much time talking about the wins of your PMO. But that's how people know that you're doing something that's valuable to the organization. When the services you're delivering are clearly tied to business pain points and you can show that the work you're doing is solving those pain points, there is nothing better for you to be talking about and for them to be talking about. This is an opportunity for your stakeholders to toot your horn for you by sharing their story of the value that you helped them recognize, the problem you helped them solve. That's incredibly valuable. So make sure you're doing it, but just do it in the language that the business understands. Talk about those business problems you're solving. Talk about the transformation that is taking place. Make it real for people. Don't throw a bunch of PMs speak at them. Don't talk about the services and the nitty gritty of the templates and the process and all that. They don't care. Just focus on talking about the outcomes and make sure you have a set of metrics that ties PMO success to the successes that your business leaders and stakeholders are experiencing and the value and impacts you're creating. Make sure it's outcome focused. And remember that if you don't own the message, if you don't get out there and talk about the story of the value your PMO is creating and make it clear how and who you serve, others will make up their own stories about what you should and shouldn't be doing, and it may not be the message you want. So this is an incredibly important opportunity for you to make it very clear how the PMO delivers value and impact for the organization. Okay, the next one is burying your stakeholders in reports. If your sponsor or a key stakeholder has ever gotten stuck on the bottom of page four on some element of your status report and you can't get them to refocus on the action or the decision you're trying to get from them before that meeting ends, then you need to right size your reporting. Doing too much of the wrong communication or spending countless hours on meaningless and time-consuming reporting because you've decided you need to gather 63 different metrics across all of these different projects will prevent you from spending your time on actual impact making, on delivery. Think about every document you create, every report you produce, and every meeting you attend or schedule for others to attend. Every bit of communication should be tied to the value and the outcomes you're creating. And if it's not, stop doing it. No one needs to hear for the third time this week how Joe is doing on his piece of the project. And this is another great place where automation can help. If you streamline first, you don't need a ton of different data points 
because your business leaders are really only making decisions on probably about five of them. So I would hit the reset button and go talk to them and say, hey, let me tell you how long it takes for us to put these reports together and tell me which data points really help you drive decisions. Because if they can see how much time you're spending on putting these manual reports together and providing all these different data points, they probably will think a little differently about what they actually need to make decisions. So use this as a chance in your process of going towards automation to streamline and just pick the things that really matter and see what happens if you only put those few data points in front of them, because you might be surprised at how much more efficient things move, which helps everyone become more effective in impact delivery. Speaking of sponsors and stakeholders, the next one on this list is something I called sponsor abuse. We expect a lot from our sponsors and we should because ProSci, the change management organization will tell you that the biggest reason for success or failure of a change initiative is sponsorship. So it's important, but often we expect so much from our sponsors without understanding how to best support them so that they can support us. We also assume our sponsors actually know how to be good sponsors and many of them don't. If your sponsor isn't engaged or you can't get them to make decisions, then it's time to train them on their role and what's expected and what they can expect from you. Start by figuring out the with them, the what's in it for me, for them, and how they will benefit when this project is successful and how much pain they will be in if it's not done well. Then set expectations with them, starting with how you will support them, how you will engage with them, how you will ensure their success, which you're tying to their WIFM, of course. And then you can start asking them for what you need from them. In the book I'm writing that talks all about the executives and the PMOs and bringing them together, one of the big frustrations I'm sharing with executives is the fact that they often are not as engaged as they need to be for the PMO and project teams to be successful. And Many of them don't realize that their job doesn't end when the charter is signed or when they've given you some funding for the PMO, but it's how we engage them and when we engage them and how we connect them to the process and what we need that matters most. So you've got to make sure you take the time to educate them and help them understand how their involvement or lack thereof is directly tied to the project or the PMO's success. You also wanna make sure that you use their power for good instead of evil. One of the worst things that I see PMO and project leaders doing is diluting their own personal power by saying, well, sponsors said we have to do this when they need cooperation from others. They use the fear or the authority of the sponsor to get something done And that can be dangerous because it makes it seem like you don't have any authority yourself. So it's much better if part of what you educate your sponsor to do is to publicly pass authority to you to drive decisions so that people can see that when you speak as a PMO or project leader, you are speaking on behalf of the sponsor without having to say, well, sponsor said so. Okay, now on this path of people, is the final one on this list. And it's all about misusing talent. I always looked for help when I started a PMO and I needed staff to help me with ideas and to execute plans. I needed advisors to provide me a sanity check 
or guide me in the best way to get the PMO up and running quickly. And what I learned is that what works in one place may not work so well in another. It's all about finding the right team and then putting that PMO in place together. Now, this doesn't just mean hiring. You wanna make sure you're taking advantage of people that are inside the organization as well. You don't wanna bring in all of your own people because if you're bringing in all new people to the organization, one, they're likely to have the same mindset and ideas you have, which will limit your diversity in thinking and idea generation. They're also probably gonna have the same blind spots and weaknesses, and they're probably not gonna have a whole lot of history or ideas as far as what the organization needs or how it runs or where the real power lies. So you wanna make sure that you are getting people from inside the organization to either rotate into the PMO for a temporary time, be advisors to the PMO, or somehow be stakeholders in the success of the PMO. Diversity of all kinds is what matters most here. Now, if you're looking for an advisor, sometimes you might be thinking about bringing in consultants and letting them do the project management or PMO implementation for you. Don't do it. Please, just don't. I'm not saying you can't have temporary staff like contractors or consultants advising you or performing project management or PMO tasks for you. That's fine. But if you completely outsource your PMO setup, you will either have to make those people permanent or the life of that PMO leaves when they walk out the door. You must ingrain the changes you want into the culture and behaviors of the people that will be around for the long haul. That's why it's so important to make sure that you are pulling on advisors or stakeholders or other resources from inside the organization that already know how the organization runs and operates. People with great influence are perfect for this. And you can still get external advisory and consulting resources. For example, I don't believe in outsourcing a PMO completely, but I have plenty of clients that use me on an advisory or a coaching basis to teach them to fish instead of doing the fishing for them. That's my biggest advice to you. Find an organization or a team or an advisor or a coach that will show you what they've learned, help you not make the same mistakes and guide you on that journey without doing it for you because that will help you build that internal competency that you and your team and the organization must have for the PMO to be sustainable long-term. And then over time, you can strategically encourage that weaning process so that you can fish for yourself. This positions you so much more effectively to have an evolving and sustainable PMO in your organization that is a part of your organization, that is the impact engine for your organization from within, as opposed to being a plug and play piece that may not fit what you actually need. Well, there you have it. There are 10 of the mistakes that I see PMO leaders making that are totally preventable when you have an impact engine PMO. Now, make sure you download the Bulletproof PMO Guide right from our website at pmostrategies.com or right on the post page for this episode, pmostrategies.com forward slash 069. And if you wanna dive deep and you want my six-step proven system for building a high impact PMO, whether you are building your PMO for the first time or the 15th time, I promise you, you will find some good 
valuable insights that will help you think a little bit differently about your PMO and how you can accelerate your impact. Just join our free masterclass today by going right to the PMO Strategies website forward slash PMO. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. I cannot wait to see you there. Bye-bye for now.